Well, it's a real pleasure to be here, and um, I have to say that I am so energized and inspired by all the talks that we've heard over the last uh, couple of days. Um, I can't wait to, to start emailing all of you and working together, networking to try to begin making a difference in the, in the world. Um, I have a slideshow, so, and I have a controller. Let me see if I can find it. Aha, here it is. Um, so I entitled my talk, RNAi, Rethinking Gene Regulation, Evolution, and Medicine, or How a Worm Won Five Nobel Prizes in Medicine. Okay. So I need the lights way down. I, I think this is, these slides are going to be hard to see unless these big lights can come down some. Uh, this is a, a picture of me with Dick Cheney. Um, he is um, the vice president, if you don't know. Um, uh, and the reason I'm showing it is because, um, for several reasons, but when you, when you get a Nobel Prize, usually you get an opportunity to rethink what you're doing and, and you get to have a little bit more voice than you used to have. So you get to go talk to people. And even, you know, the nice thing is, in the U.S. we can vote, but we can also, uh, everyone, everywhere, can try to educate. So, you know, when I got an invitation to go to the White House, I was eager to take it because I wanted to go there and tell the president about the discovery of RNAi. And I think if we can still lower the lights more, it's going to be easier to see. Can you see that up out in the back? You can. Okay. It's hard to see from this angle, maybe. Yeah. Um, so so I went there hoping to be able to tell the president how exciting it is that we now have uh, these great tools for understanding human genetics and human biology. Um, and the, the thing that's amazing about it is RNA interference was reduced to practice or to an application in humans um, during this administration. So we had the Human Genome Project just recently completed. Now we have the complete blueprint for how to make a human, not only a human, but a worm, uh, lots of different plants, uh, all kinds of different animals. We have the entire genetic code. How do you figure out what those genes do? You need, a, you need a tool of some kind to figure out what they do. Well, it turns out that nature had already invented that tool. It's like the Google search engine of the cell, and it's been around for a billion, over a billion years, and we just discovered it recently. Um, and, and it's such an exciting tool to have that we can use it to, just by typing in a few letters of a genetic code, we can type it in essentially, into a computer. A company will send us the sequence that we want. We can then transfect it or transform it, inject it into cells or into organisms, and it can go in there and turn off genes. And that allows us to figure out what the genes normally do. It is a tremendously powerful tool that is accelerating uh, discovery in all kinds of different areas, not only in medicine, but also in agriculture, has tremendous applications. And so 
I think it, you know, the great opportunity I have now is to go talk to people, try to explain what a tremendous opportunity we have, not only in the U.S., but in every country all over the world, because the genome sequences are up on the computers everywhere, and this RNA interference technology is available everywhere, not only RNAi, but other technologies that are also uh, moving medicine ahead at a tremendous rate. So I was happy to go to the White House, and I'll be happy to go again uh, and, and talk to um, this administration about uh, some really good news, because there hasn't been a lot of good news uh, lately, but this is good news, and I'd like to uh, help them out a little bit, if I can. So here's another gentleman. Um, and, uh, you know, I was recently on Capitol Hill again uh, talking to some congressmen and senators, and uh, you can see I'm standing a little closer to um, <laughs> this gentleman. In fact, when I was in his office, there was a picture on the wall that, that actually choked me up. It was uh, Ed standing between his brothers, Bobby and John. And I just thought, you know, what a sacrifice this family had made for our country. And, um, but, it, but, you know, it's just wonderful to go to Capitol Hill, get to tell our congressmen and senators what exciting uh, potential we now have for unlocking uh, the secrets of, of life and understanding how living things work uh, and, and trying to uh, use that knowledge to help people. So this is Andrew Fire and I in Stockholm. And I like to show this slide for a couple of reasons, but mainly because without, without Andy, I wouldn't be sitting there on that stage. And the reason we're there together is because we talked to each other, basically. For several years, we developed a relationship working together, um, trying to do things that had never been done before that were really hard to do, that no, nobody had ever done it. And those kinds of technological problems are really frustrating because you never know how close you were to getting something to work if it fails to work. And so you have to just keep trying. So people who work on that kind of a problem tend to like to talk to each other. You know, I tried this, what have you tried lately, you know? So that's the kind of relationship that Andy and I had, and we worked that relationship out over the course of several years developing techniques for putting DNA, genes, back into organisms. DNA, in, the, in particular, the organism that I'll show you in a moment, is so tiny, it's the size of a comma on, a, on your printed page. We had to use a microscope and inject with a glass needle into the germline of this animal to deliver the DNA into them. And it was a very difficult technique to work out. And we worked it out at first in competition, but gradually developed a sense of respect and, and uh, 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 a great working relationship that led to our ability to collaborate very freely, to share our ideas long before they were ready to publish. And that was extremely important. And the other the thing that's kind of funny about this uh, slide is here we are uh, not talking because, of course, uh, we're on the stage there. But talking is really what got us there. And it's really important to talk to each other. That's something that we've started uh, this just the last few days, but that is something we have to keep doing because there's a lot of work to do, and um, I'll come back to that at the end. But here's the real Nobel Prize winner. This is C. elegans, 
uh, moving back and forth on the petri, uh, petri dish in the laboratory. And these animals are incredible. They are, uh, they are so tiny, they have only a thousand cells. You and I have close to 10 trillion cells in our body. They have a thousand cells, they mature to adulthood in three days, and they produce 300 progeny in the next three days. And they can do that all by themselves because they're hermaphrodites. They are incredible. Um, and they are really cool because they are a lot like us. They have, <laughs> yes, they are. They have neurons, they have intestine, they have muscle, they have all the basic cells that you need to make a complicated organism. And I always had this problem before. My neighbors would say, what do you work on? And they'd assume I'm a researcher out of medical school, so, you know, cancer or, you know, neuro neurobiology or something like that. And I would say, I work on a worm. And they would just sort of, their eyes would glaze over and, you know, they'd go back to mowing their lawn or whatever. <laughs> that would be the end of the conversation. So the greatest thing about the Nobel Prize is now they actually listen to me when I say I work on a worm. They go, wow, <laughs> you know, and you can see the wheel starting to turn. Why would anybody working on a worm get a prize in medicine? So, um, but this, this animal has won five, okay, and it's going to get more. And uh, it, it recently won uh, the prize in, I think, 2003 for cell death, uh, which is a process that happens in a programmed way in our cells. It's not just getting get the cells getting old. They actually die for a reason. I won't go into that. Ah, okay. So I'm going to come back to, uh, in order to sort of explain why worms are relevant uh, to medicine, I have to go back to the beginning of the universe. And the reason I'm doing that is because when I was in uh, Stockholm with John Mather, who, I, who may be here t tonight, uh, he was here earlier. Oh, there he is. Uh, we had, a, we had a, many of these panels where we'd sit and they'd ask us, well, what does your work have to do with, you know, the physics work or the chemistry work? And, uh, you know, we have to come up with some connection between what we had worked on. So how do you connect the Big Bang uh, to worms and to RNA interference and to life? Um, but I think there is a connection. And uh, since John has already introduced this slide, I'll just say, that this is a map of the cosmic background radiation and uh, what John and, and his group, the COBE team did is they measured the background radiation and were able to show that the uh, temperature and the spectrum of that background radiation was consistent with the theory of the Big Bang uh, in which somehow the whole universe sprang into being uh, some 13.7 billion years ago. Now how is that connected to life? Well, this is a, a part of the history of life, and I'll just show this uh, to illustrate a couple of points that I think are really cool. So the common ancestor of worms and humans is back here, about 800 million years ago, somewhere in that range. I'm just sort of guessing. Uh, the common ancestor of plants and animals and fungi would be way down here on the floor, um, where this is a time scale of over a billion years. These uh, events here are glaciation events for which there's geological evidence uh, in the fossil record. These are events uh, that have been referred to as snowball earth events. These are really bad times if you're a living thing because the, uh, the earth was covered by snow all the way to the equator 
the oceans were frozen perhaps all the way to the equator, and living things, including the common ancestor of that really cool, sophisticated worm and us, were stuck with no place to live but the ocean, maybe a few cracks in the ice, maybe some thermal vents, but they had a very, very limited opportunity to uh, make a living. Um, and then the ice melted. Now there, there are two, I'll go, go back for a moment. There, there are two uh, glaciations shown here. There may have been more, uh, but after each of these glaciation events, uh, or actually before this one, there was an, Ediac an Ediacaran fauna that was uh, quite diverse. It got wiped out. And then, or actually, I think that one was wiped out here. But in any case, after the, the ice melted, we had what was sort of the biological equivalent of the Big Bang, the Cambrian explosion. Um, and one interpretation of that has been that the organisms, including that sophisticated little worm, uh, and uh, the ancestors of all the other metazoan life forms, including humans, uh, were already really sophisticated creatures. The inner workings of their cells, the biological mechanisms that make all of us tick, were already invented uh, by that time. Things like RNA interference that allow the cell to find genetic information and, and regulate it uh, had already arisen in, in that common ancestor. And those, those mechanisms allowed when the continents and the continental shelves uh, became available for life, uh, they allowed those organisms to diversify rapidly and to occupy those, uh, those opportunities to make a, a living in a much richer environment. And then you had this amazing flowering of life. Now, um, this interpretation is, is interesting, and, and it's also consistent with the DNA evidence that we now have from all the creatures that we've been sequencing. We are very, very related to everything on the planet. It's, I think it's beautiful. You know, you're related to the grass you're mowing. That's what I tell my neighbors. People are having trouble with, you know, the races, you know, or the monkeys in us. We're related to, to petunias and fungi and bacteria. I think it's totally cool. I think it's liberating. And I think, it, I think that there's no reason it conflicts with religion or anything. We just need to get on with life, figure out you know, what's important to us. And, and anyway. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that subject for a moment and talk about real life for these poor little worms. In the laboratory, we give them the wonderful little environment to live where they can eat bacteria. They're so small, they eat them one at a time like M&Ms. But in the wild, they're not, they're not getting M&Ms every day. They're out there uh, trying to make a living, and they encounter hundreds of different species of nematophagous fungi. These are fungi that make lariats that these poor little animals swim into accidentally, and then they close on them and trap them and then the fungus sends hyphae into the body of the animal and devours it. That's the, that's the life that these guys have. And the thing is, it, this plays out on a tiny, tiny scale. Uh, you know, we're talking about universal scale, well, and, and cosmic time scales. That's the other connection. Life exists on a cosmic time scale. Billions of years of life, billions of years of biological mechanisms acting in our cells. 
but, but there really is a huge diversity of life out there, and these little animals are, they're good at what they do because they have a, a real rough life. And if you don't believe this, I actually have a movie that a colleague of mine, Mark Alkema, made in which you can watch a worm get trapped. Right here, watch this guy trying to swim by, and that little lasso there just squeezed shut on his tail. And if you watch in a moment, there'll be another one right here that a poor little worm is going to swim into. Now this, this drama is playing itself out in the soil every day as you're walking to work. There are 10 to, nine, 10 to the ninth of these little worms in a cubic yard of soil. That little guy just got trapped. It's tr really amazing. <laughs> but I like to show that because the more you look at living things, the, more you, you, the deeper you look into the history of the universe, of the earth, of, of life, and the, the way life works, it just keeps getting more and more unbelievably complicated and fascinating. And I think, again, that's a really wonderful thing. So now I'm going to try to, I only have a few minutes, so I'm going to try to explain RNEI quickly. And I was fortu it's fortunate that RNEI has made the news. So the, the uh, primetime news people know that you cannot explain uh, anything on TV. Um, you know, the, the attention span is like 15 seconds or something, so you have to get right to the, the meat of it. So this is what CBS News came up with to explain RNEI. Um, and for the scientists in the crowd, this might seem funny. I'll just warn you. So here we are. This really makes me understand you shouldn't believe everything you see on the news. This is a double-stranded RNA molecule. Looks a lot like DNA. Now, these are the defective genes, okay? So I actually had to make that, that loop a little bit so you could actually see what was happening. The defective genes, you know, uh, don't, you're, you're, let me just explain. For those of you who are not biologists, defective genes do not look like cheese puffs. Um, and uh, RNA is not so much bigger than DNA. It's actually of the same molecular scale. Um, so they took a little bit of license with this. The basic idea is that the RNA is eating the DNA for lunch. Um, and uh, you know, the RNA is traditionally thought of as, a, as the messenger for the DNA. The DNA sends the RNA out into the cytoplasm to make the protein. Um, and that, but, so they've captured part of what's important here. The RNA is in control. It's regulating the DNA. And in fact, there are mechanisms that exist in certain animals where the RNA can actually, the, uh, the RNA interference mechanism can actually direct the elimination of DNA from a nucleus. It's fascinating. You should read more about it. I don't have time to go into it today. 